Diella Seaman says that it started innocently enough as she decided to just walk home one day after work. For Kevin Hines, it was fascination he felt watching his running foes crumble around him on a dusty road in Saskatchewan. For Geo Wade, it was as he got out of the water after swimming two kilometers in his first triathlon and wanting more, much more. The desire to go long doesn't afflict everybody, but for these folks, it does. Whether it's riding the length of Vancouver Island or riding from Merritt to Kimberley in an off-road cycling race, these folks know how to go long, very long. More importantly, why do these people feel the need to do it? Why swim for eight hours non-stop in the pool or ride from Abbotsford to Salmon Arm by yourself or run a marathon on a glass of water? In this Bitspeak feature interview, we explore the ultras. Sitting to my left is Diella Siemens, and Diella is going to tell us some of her stories about her long-distance love affair with cycling. Over here we have Gio Wade, and Gio's done not only long-distance cycling, he's also developed uh, a penchant for doing crazy long things in the water, whether it's uh, out swimming, killer whales, or manta rays. Uh, Gio's going to share some of the experiences about that. And riding shotgun with us, of course, is Barbie, who's always been by Gio's side, and Zach Newfeld, who's always been by mine for the <laughs> podcast, along with our new leader of the pack, leading us through this interview, is Fitspeaks, Kevin Watt. Thanks for the inter- introduction, Kevin. So uh, this is an interesting roundtable tonight. Uh, a lot of skilled athletes, a lot of uh, strong personalities, and a lot of determination sitting here at the table. Um, I don't know even where to begin here. I guess uh, let's start with Diella, amazing at cycling now diella you developed this habit like we're saying for long distance cycling but even before that before you you know done anything crazy distance tell us a little bit about your athletic background what was it like in junior high school high school okay i um i was a tomboy i did not like to hang out with the girls i liked the boys i liked to play on the field i played soccer and whatever the football whatever they were throwing around outside um and uh, so that's kind of how it started. My parents are athletic. My parents both competed in tennis. Um, my dad played, uh, he was a back catcher in, in, um, in the summer and a goalie all winter long, right up until I was married. Um, so that they kind of have a love of sport um, and that's kind of where it started. For me, um, I switched from playing sports with high school teens to solo stuff um, and it kind of started with me. I just on a whim one day worked in Vancouver and thought, I think I'll walk home from work to Coquitlam. And that was kind of the first time I just said, oh, mom, I'll be late today. And I got home in the dark. And um, How old were you? I was oh, 18, 19. I had just started working in Vancouver. Um, and so that... But I found out also that this, I'm thinking, is genetics, <laughs> because my grandpa used to uh, walk 36K to go visit his girlfriend on the weekends from Canham Lake to 100 Mile, all backcountry. He would just walk through the woods to see her. So I don't know how much of it comes from family background. <laughs> Interesting. And genetics. Yeah. Geo, growing up as a kid, where was home for you? Langley. 
Langley. So a Fraser Valley born and bred kind of guy. Now, tell us about your background. Were you into sports as a high school, junior high school kid? No, I I did a little track and field, um, short distance running, probably less than um, 5K, 5 to 7K was, was a good run. And uh, I also was a junior amateur boxer. Boxing? Hmm. At what age did you start that? Uh, probably from about 10 to 16 years old. Mm. And you got up to a fairly competitive level then. Yeah. So you learned a lot of mental tenacity, obviously. Well, why don't we ask you, um, when did you get into endurance sports and running and triathlon? It was a, a dusty road in rural Saskatchewan in September of 1976. I was in grade seven and we had this crazy high school phys ed coach by the name of Mr. Peterson. And he was into this long distance running stuff. And I was, because I was born in December, um, I was, you know, young relative to my peers in grade seven. And for some crazy reason, and schools, of course, were a bit more relaxed about abusing students at that time. And I mean that kind of half jokingly. But he took us on, after school, he took us on this 10 kilometer run. And I thought, this is the coolest thing in the world because my running background, I mean, I always loved to run as a kid, just being motion and, and doing all sorts of fun stuff. But the kids that would be able to kick my butt in a 100 meter race or 200 meter race, well, you know, 45 minutes into this race, just watching them suffer and fall apart. And I was just motoring along and I thought, my goodness, I've got special powers and I might not be too fast, but I can outlast most of these guys and damn it, it felt good. And I think that's a good starting point. I mean, Diella, I was witness to your experience there in Penticton a couple of years back when you Overcame oh a gosh. lot of challenges and did challenge Penticton, mm-hmm. the uh, half Ironman distance. First triathlon ever. First half, <laughs> uh, first triathlon ever, and she rises to the occasion, overcoming some uh, apprehension in the water, but mm-hmm. getting it done. And I want to get back to this. And Gio's done several, including those that I've competed with you um, on Vancouver Island as part of the uh, Ironman 70.3 mm-hmm. series. Uh, here's the question. Why wasn't that enough? For most people out there, for those 2,000 competitors in Victoria, or all those competitors at Challenge Penticton at the 70.3 distance, at the half Ironman distance, for 95% of those people, that's enough. I've had enough, and maybe I'll do another 70.3, but the three of us said, that ain't enough. Why, why did you strive for more? Whether it's just in one solo sport or taking it to the next level and doing multi-day stage bikes or mm. going on very long swims, be it in the swimming pool. What, what was the motivation to make that transition from what many people would deem normal and sane to something I know you would have a problem with, something called extreme distance? Diella. I don't know. I think there's something intriguing intriguing about seeing just how far you can go. Like, when will my body give up? How far can I push? Um, and, uh, you know, you discover that most of it's mental. Um, the, the body can kind of keep going as long as your mind can tell it to. And there's something fun about that. Gio? Yeah, I totally agree. It's all mental. The big part of my training 
the the focus of my training every winter is a mental toughness challenge. I know that my body can can do just amazing things. I don't know how. As long as you feed it, it keeps going. But, you know, it's the brain that keeps you in the game. Let's talk about that then, because it seems like we have a commonality. When I was doing my long swims, my long bike rides, I found that it had not a whole lot to be to deal with the physical. I, I had a mantra, simple. It's all mental. It's all mental. It's all, and, and over the hours, that's it's almost sustainability, right? I mean, whether it was pounding out, you know, two and a half hour sets in the pool or, you know, 11 hour bike rides in preparation for the Ultraman, it's just that simple mantra, the speed didn't matter, just put in the time, be focused, enjoy the process as much as reasonable under the conditions and uh, you might experience something pretty special. So, Diela, tell us about your special experience over the summertime, you participated primarily as a solo person in some very long bike races. Tell us about one of those. Um, so one of the fun ones I did was a thousand kilometer backcountry self-supported uh, race. Um, and uh, Where did it, that race start? It, it started in June. Okay. Um, and so the weather was just beautiful. We had a whole week of um, 90 plus weather. It was just gorgeous. Now you talk about we. Who is the we in this race? Uh, there was several. Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Some of them I don't even know even now because you kind of just meet at the start line and say, kind of smile and sheepishly sort of, huh, hi. And then everybody goes. And some of them I didn't see again the entire week that I was out there riding. Um, and you started where and ended where? We started in Merritt okay. and rode backcountry uh, Kettle Valley Railway um, to uh, Fernie. So it was a beautiful, great experience. I was going to say before when you were talking about the mental toughness aspect I, and, and why we do these things, I think some of it is um, endurance people have this I will not quit uh, mantra, regardless of what happens, right? And that's not always a good thing, but... Um, I'm just thinking, I was thinking about a time when I did, I've done an ultra run as well, and we can be resourceful. Like I had a blister that was enough to sit me down and I started to cry and think, this is it for me. It hurts so bad. I can't go on. And then, oh, I have a tensor bandage somewhere. Let's just wrap that around and see how far I can go with that. You know, it's just that I'm not going to quit no matter what things get thrown in the way. It's kind of fun. Yeah. You have to think creatively yeah. in order to keep going. Yeah. But in order to get even to the start line, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's tomfoolery to enter into something of that magnitude, of that length, without some decent preparation. And Gio's done a couple of very long-distance events. Um, like we were saying a bit earlier, you cycled from the tip of Vancouver Island to Victoria. And that took, you were saying, 28 hours? Yeah. Yeah, we went nonstop for a full day. And you also did something pretty, in my opinion, extreme over the summer. And I think you were doing that the same weekend I was doing the Ultra in Penticton. And tell us about your swim, just the logistics of it first. It was, uh, it's a 32K swim from uh, the Sunshine Coast Seashell to Nanaimo. And um, I was aiming for 14 hours. It's been done in nine and I think the longest it's taken is 18. So there have been a couple of dozen people who have succeeded at it. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your day. 
Uh, day started at five o'clock in the morning in the water. Um, it started an hour earlier than that, getting ready, having breakfast. What um, was for breakfast? Breakfast was just a piece of bread with peanut butter. Why so simple? Uh, the simpler, the better. Um, less preparation, less things to think about, less um, less gear and stuff to pack with yourself, and um, more time to focus on being ready for getting in the water and, and having fun. So you jump in the water by yourself, because this isn't a big race like an Ultraman or an Ironman or a 70.3 where you've got 2,000 people <clears throat> jumping to the water. It's you and some people who are very close to you. Yeah. Who are those people? These are never solo events. There is no way that I could have done that swim without seven other people. I, I needed a team, and Roger Friesen focuses on that, that, you know, in order to succeed, aside from yourself, preparing yourself, you also need a team around you. So I needed a, a whole crew of people to get me across that that pond without everybody you know all working together somebody had dropped out you know I had a few alternates and spares but you know it took a lot of dedication and commitment and training from a whole bunch of people it wasn't just me it's never solo. Diella you've done a lot of long-distance biking and you have done it by yourself tell us how you managed to put that together because all of that weight of the in quotes expedition is on your shoulders sink or swim it's just you maybe a little bit naive sometimes mm. maybe i just head out and think ah the tire's not going to go flat this trip or uh, <laughs> or i'll call my husband he'll drive he, he always says i'll come get you so, so you do have a I, I do have a backup if i really need it not I mean, physically I, present at that exactly time, but... and i i rode from abbotsford to salmon arm this summer by myself mm. solo that would be a long drive but he would be willing to do that so and i always figured there's got to be a car somebody if i had to flag someone down that would be kind enough to help me out in fact on my ride in the summer to just Kamloops the first time um, up the Coquihalla it was 42 degrees and I was I'd run out of water and I had two people just I didn't even have to flag them down they saw me riding pulled over up ahead and met me with bottles of water so yeah there's always you do need help you can't always just do these things solo but you've had the courage to go out there <laughs> on your own that's and the challenge that I see like. what happens yeah yeah. Tell us about some epic fails where you kind of scared yourself. Running out of water in 42 degrees, that's kind of, you know, that could mess with you. Yeah. Any other... Well, I, and I carry tablets, so I can always get it somewhere. Um, I've been really lucky. I haven't had an epic fail yet. <laughs> <laughs> no chain breaks? No... Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Nope. That's... I mean, I've had a few flat tires, and that's it. Grizzly bears. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I've passed grizzly bears, but those didn't stop me. <laughs> but no, grizzly bears can't stop the girl. No mechanicals. Right. No, I've been really And no lucky. issues, no issues with the body nope. breaking down on you. Nope. I've been really, really fortunate. No cramping, no, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I've been very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. Well, from a coaching perspective, it sounds like you got your training right. So how did you prepare for these epic long bike rides, these multi-stage bike rides where you're putting in thousands of kilometers? What was, what was the training week looking like for you? Yeah, just lots of riding. I wouldn't say it was anything spectacular. Um, 100K rides that built to 200K rides that one day I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can make it to Kamloops in 300 kilometers. 
Uh, so you just head out and do it. And then, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe in a month I can do a 400. Um, mm. And it, yeah, just again, mental is a lot of that prep is just being um, sure of yourself and thinking, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do it and I can do it. You know? I think we're all kind of laughing at you. Some of us are in awe and some of us are going, well, I know Gio is thinking, well, yeah, 300 kilometers. Of course, you did that on a trainer in the basement, right? I hate the trainer. <laughs> the less time I can spin in the basement, the better. It's outside for me. All now, day. Gio is the, the Zen master of training. <laughs> yeah. uh, not only has he done the swim that we've uh, been speaking about um, last year, like we were saying, he did this amazing bike ride on Vancouver Island. But if I remember correctly, you put in a fair amount of time in your basement on your trainer. Uh, tell us about some of those sessions. Yeah, I'm way safer on my trainer than I am on the road. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You get a road rash and, you know, you dent cars out there. So in the trainer, <laughs> you know, in the basement, you just sit down and watch Netflix and uh, the time goes by and your muscles learn to keep going and going and going and it's a form of meditation and you start your training and you have a a schedule a calendar you know and a destination and a certain amount of time to accomplish it all and you just take little bites every day every week every month you just take a little bite and all it is is a little bit bigger bite next time and a little bit and so it's not like you're jumping into something huge mm-hmm. you know you can't eat an elephant in one bite mm-hmm. right it's, it's the it's ebb and flow, flow of of training flows, yeah so you just you build up come back down and then build up even more yeah right yeah and during the event it's the same thing you know if you're looking forward to a 14-hour swim say um you know the first hour goes by and then the second hour goes by and then the tenth hour goes by and pretty soon it's over and then like um you know it's it's a letdown to get out of the water hmm. not a relief no. Hmm. no how did you train like we, how, how long did you get on that bicycle and what was going through your head thinking I'm going to sit on this bike trainer in my basement for X amount of hours. What was the longest trainer? Because this, this I find fascinating because uh, just looking at Diella here, it's like, okay, well, maybe two hours and then things could start to hurt. Oh, 10 After... minutes on the trainer and then I'm looking at my watch. Yeah, I'm looking at razor blades <laughs> and Gio just That's seems to be going. That's mental right toughness for That's mental toughness. Yeah, believe it or not, that, um, that ride was my mental toughness challenge. To see if I could accomplish the swim, it was my preparation and training. You know, a lot of a lot of cross training for for the swim I just did. Um, I was advised to do seventy percent of what my expected time on that um, tip to tip ride as training. So my long training ride indoors. Yeah, indoors or outdoors needed to be 14 hours Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish a 24-hour bike ride um, comfortably not you know (coughs) hating my cycle saddle not Mm. you know um, completely incapacitated so I used that 70% guideline also for training for the swim so when you say 70 70% if your ride is you know X amount of hours, you just go up to 70% of that 
that time frame. So similar to your longest run, if Bruce you're training, Winting recommended that training for a marathon, your longest run is, uh, let's say, I think thirty four. Yeah, is it thirty four? What would Coach Zach say? Because Zach's led a running room marathon group. What well, would we, we say? The longest distance we ran for our uh, long slow distance run was thirty two kilometers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and a right. lot of programs do that. So roughly the same. Yeah, mm -hmm. similar. So Diella was talking about the challenge of, you know, overcoming adversity, being resourceful, dealing with whatever happens. What was your motivation to do? Because we know the motivation for the bike ride was to serve, uh, in quotes, a greater purpose, which was the swim. So what was what was the thinking behind that? What was your motivation to, to do such an event? And my first triathlon was a, a half iron um, three years ago in Victoria. I got into the water for the swim. I got about 150 meters out into the swim, and I realized that when that swim was over, I was going to be really disappointed because I was really enjoying it. And the uh, farther I went on that swim, 1,900 meters, I believe, <laughs> the more I dreaded it being over <laughs> and getting on the bike. Um, I just found in a few minutes a real love for swimming. You know, you're in the water with a bunch of people in an environment that wasn't familiar to me at all. But Some would say hostile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, <clears throat> but it was an epiphany for me that that was what I wanted to do. Very interesting. I'm waiting for that epiphany. Yeah, but yours, is, yours lies <laughs> in like a different path. I'd like to forever. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Yours is cycling, though. Yeah, Yours is interestingly, I mean, I grew up on a bike. That's the only mm -hmm. way I could go visit friends. I didn't get rides. I just mm -hmm. rode all over the town I lived in. Mm -hmm. um, but interestingly enough, I've been a runner first. Running was mm -hmm. my first love. Um, I didn't actually long-distance cycle. Um, I rode across Canada when I was 22 and then parked the bike mm -hmm. and had a family, and I hadn't ridden in 20 years, mm -hmm. and I just picked it up a few years ago. So running was my consistent mm -hmm thing but yes i do i love the bike hills are my yeah. favorite thing yeah well and that's yeah that's what i was going to say you just Bring you them on. but you yeah. work out a lot too right i do yes. you do work out so you've i think from working out you've and also growing up on a bike too i think that plays a big part of it but your form it's uh it's really great just watching you ride you're very solid on your bike and so i think that was the other thing that I was thinking too, is because you do work out, you do run, so your your muscles are you know strong and they're dialed in. I think that may as may have helped you not have any injuries mm -hmm. over you know these crazy distances that you're riding, right? Pretty incredible distances. Well, right? and Gio so. talked a little bit about the cross training aspect, and that helps with. Um, preventing injury as well right mm -hmm. I'm not just cycling or not just running but doing a little of the gym and a little of, mm -hmm. a little of this and a little of that yeah correct strength training was one of the keys for me innovative fitness um, really taught me how to control and use proper movements mm -hmm. when you're doing hundreds of thousands of repetitions if you're out you know even a couple of millimeters mm -hmm. in your motion you're going to develop injuries especially and... for swimming you know especially for swimming because you have rotator cuff issues and at any time you know maybe especially in the in the ocean and stuff it's harder swimming much yes it's mm -hmm. way harder swimming mm -hmm. and uh you're more prone to any number of 
injuries, the cross training definitely yeah. plays a big part in developing your muscles. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do um, long, long distances without that strength training. Mm-hmm. It's taken me years to learn to use my muscles correct. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who are tuning in thinking, well, maybe next year I'll just jump in and go for a 32-kilometer swim or a 2,000-kilometer bike ride, we're speaking to folks who have a fairly long relationship with doing long things and this was kind of like the culmination to this point about all that which includes proper nutrition proper strength training stretching and of course appropriate training and we're all I I guess seeing we're fairly well adjusted human beings sitting around a table right now in December uh, I guess we uh, came out the other end uh, not not the worst for wear. Tell Except us. for you. <laughs> Except for you. Except for you. I was going to say, you. I'm well adjusted. <laughs> I crewed for Kevin on the Ultra 500, and uh, I have pictures still on my phone, but what you just said, I'm not too sure about. His feet, they look like they've been beaten with hammers at the end of his 88-kilometer run. <laughs> so hammering, hammering the concrete, hey? And that's I, the mental toughness part, right? You can yeah. quit. I actually wanted to ask Diala, uh, Diala, sorry. Um, you, you said something about there seemed to be like a fire in your eyes when you were mentioning not giving up, and I was just wondering if you could explain a little bit more what that's like. Say like during a race, what like what kind of thoughts are coming into your head, and then what do you do when that happens? Do you just say I'm just not going to give up, or because some people yeah. I think they say I just wanted to give up the whole time, and but I've done races before where I said it was easy because I just I never. The thought that I couldn't do it never entered my head, you know? Yeah. I do you have that, similar experiences? I think that the give up for me, it, it, there's a higher likelihood of giving up during the training or oh, a training really? day. That's interesting. Where I just want to fold up the bike or whatever and, and go home and just be done right. with it. I think that's the harder part. I think for me, once I'm racing, I those things don't, those thoughts don't cross my mind. You would there have is already no quit. given up. Yeah, there <laughs> is no quit. I'm here and I'm going for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's always time goals that, that don't necessarily pan out. Um, for me, it's mostly, let's just get to the finish line. And oh, okay. Well, that kind of training. How am I going to get there? Not will I ever get there, right? Yeah, I don't I ask that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. That kind of training, like long distance training is harder than, Harder than the event itself, right? Mm-hmm. The the event itself is the payoff, the training. Um, that's the that's the hard part because it life really throws is, yeah. mm-hmm. life throws all sorts of different things at you, right? So maintaining the discipline and and the schedule for the training for the day of event. I like. I almost think of the race day as like my birthday or something like the icing on the cake because by the time you bake the cake now you get to enjoy it I guess exactly you know I had a training partner that I used to run with so we did a long 55k endurance run one time (laughs) and uh, um, one of the training days I called her and said I'm not going to come I have a headache and and I do get migraines it was really bad Hmm. and she said to me well what are you going to do on race day if you get a headache? Okay, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> and on we went. And she's right. I mean, huh. sometimes you have to push through those training days um, because you you don't know what you're going to get on race day. Right. Yeah. I've heard elite athletes say that before. Um, I think even Jan Fredino in uh, Ironman 
in the Ironman Kona Championships this year, he he still walked the end of his marathon actually because it's just such a and this goes back to what I've heard and it's it kind of through the grapevine, but there's a sense that a lot of successful athletes will never not finish a race for whatever reason or maybe even a workout, I'm not sure, but there seems to be something to that. Getting it done so you don't have that habit of quitting maybe yeah, yeah, yeah sure. habit maybe yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. both pros and cons to that yes knowing when to say when that's true in the long run might be a good idea um geo tell us a little bit about going back to the big swim there was the entire thing a joy because you speak so beautifully of it it was a great experience you simply ran out of sunlight and the tides came and it kind of worked against you but weren't there points and i ask this to a lot of people weren't there just points in that day because that's a long time in the water you're saying this this just sucks. There never was. There never was. There never I was. find that interesting. <laughs> Zach Zach said, you know, when he's when he's racing, it's like you've just baked a cake and now you get to eat it. You know, um, for for me, that day was like a holiday. You know, something that you've paid thousands of dollars for. You've taken the airplane trip. You've just got to your hotel and now you get to enjoy it. You know, hmm. um, for me, the the training for the swim was like an event. Because my swim was, right up to the very day we went, was always in doubt. If the weather was uncooperative, if um, anybody in my crew had dropped out, you know, if, if a whole lot of variables didn't meet together and, and the sum wasn't zero, then I wasn't swimming. And I was never in charge of that. You, you don't have an opportunity to go into the event and, and you know, get to start it and then say to yourself, well, now this is going to suck, right? I was really, really grateful to be able to get into the water that morning with good weather because for two weeks before that, two solid weeks, it was not transitable. Mm. The The wind kept everybody out of the water, kept the boats off the water. My my yacht wouldn't have been able to, to go in. Um, and, you know, you meet obstacles during, during the trip. 45 minutes in, uh, a big tugboat pulling probably three kilometers of logs passed in front of me and we sat we we stayed in the water for about 45 minutes not making any progress with the tide flushing us north oh my goodness i I flushed probably five to seven kilometers off course waiting for this tug to go by and nothing i could do about it my kayak and i sat there um in the water, just treading water, waiting for him to go by. Um, Barb, is he telling the truth? Is he just always in this super optimistic <laughs> mindset? Uh, Barbie is Geo's better half, we all know. He actually is. He, he gets a real, real joy out of it. And, you know, watching him at the pool, I leave after an hour, and then seven hours later... You know, with all the kids and the, the wave thing going, and he's still going at it, and the lifeguards still got him in his own lane because they're just mesmerized. How can you be in here for seven hours going back and forth? It's crazy. And when he went on that the big swim, he only had on his bathing suit. There was uh, no wetsuit. No wetsuit. No, in the no, ocean? Really. Yeah. He was just... Treading water in a treading, Just suit. in his bathing suit. Holy smokes. And a whole bunch of zinc ointment you know, <laughs> for the, uh, so that he wouldn't get sunburned. Begs the question, why, why Gio? Why, why not wear a wetsuit? It's, um, it's a personal challenge. You know, how much do you need? 
you know, why not take a jet ski? No, well, there's a bit of a range between. Why not a foot plane? <laughs> Seriously. Hey, I wear a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and good. Okay. Yeah, you know, good. Um, how much do you need? Hmm. Right? You know, on your pack, on the bike, mm-hmm. how much do you need? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, hmm. can, you, can you do it with a minimum amount of supplies? Can you put in the effort instead and, you know, overcome the challenge, right? Is it, is it, do you need technology? Do you need um, equipment? Do you need help to do this? Or are you going to do it? It's scary though. Mm. Scary for the spouse. Were there any moments, whether it was in the training, on one of those swims, in the open water, where you were really concerned? I was really concerned when he said, next year, I'm going to swim across the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just got, I couldn't go on the boat with them. I I had to stay back because I had some fears. And Mm. I, yeah. But I did support him. (laughs) What kind of fears? Fears of him drowning. Mm -hmm. And then where do you find the body? Right, because it just went down. Okay, there. That's true. All right, <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> the swimming is so different from cycling or running. You know, I can. Mm-hmm. I say I don't want to quit, but if if I had to, I just stop. Mm-hmm. But in swimming, right? I mean, you you have support, like you said, that would probably pull you out. But mm-hmm. there's that. I'm sure that mental thought that there's nothing stopping me from just sliding under. You probably don't think about that, but Barbie, you probably do. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> I think there are many of us. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to Diella before we get into your plans for next year, because we know there is going to be a next year. Um, just taking inventory of what you've experienced so far. What are the top two or three things that you've learned about yourself? in doing these events? I'm not very good at navigation. (laughs) I'm not good with technology for navigation. That's where I have some difficulties. Um, I'm I have a lot of fears actually. I the backcountry race uh, I was quite concerned about bears and wildlife and that kind of thing and could I sleep out under the stars by myself and just pitch a tent wherever. Um, I was a bit nervous about that and I didn't have to. I I camped in campgrounds and met up with people along the way. So that's still a question for the for the future if I was to do another one of those races. You don't always get to finish the night at a campground, especially if you're racing harder. The the ride I did last year was sort of one of those let's just see what I can do, but if I wanted to push myself even harder, I would ride longer days and uh maybe catch a couple hours of sleep instead of putting up a tent and and bunking down for the night, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Hmm. What kind of uh, nights of sleep were you getting? How many hours were you? I was getting seven hours. Yeah. Oh, so, so you were getting. I mean, a some full of the guys night. at the front were sleeping for two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was sharing a hotel some nights with a friend. With you know, mm-hmm. so I did it a little bit cushy. I think right. if I really wanted to race hard, um, I wouldn't do it that way. But uh, you know, I I'm. Um, I discovered, well, I knew this before I left, but I'm not, I'm claustrophobic, so I'm not good in a bivy sack. I need the tent. That's a little bit more weight, a little bit more time. Um, Yeah, I mean, if I was serious, I would not take a tent and I would just curl up. But next year? Maybe. Maybe. Probably more. 
probably yeah. more. One thing I learned is that my fears are not as grounded once I get out there because I'm in race mode. So again, you're just kind of doing what you need to do to finish mm. for the day. Um, I'm more fearful when I lie in my bed now at night thinking about these things. Sounds like you need to take some more magnesium. <laughs> <laughs> that might, might help with the anxiety. The bears, again, I was scared of bears. I passed several bears and uh, they didn't scare me once I was out there. You know, so. actually, um, that reminds me of uh, the first Ironman that I did. I think one of the biggest things that bothered me was the swim. And uh, I just did a lot of reading and I read and read and read and they just always talked about doing all the visualization mm -hmm. and stuff. And I think that really helped uh, swimming with, I'm not sure how many, maybe 2,800 people. That was stressful to me, for me, because I had talked to so many different people and they said that, you know, up at Penticton there, it would come in at waves at you. And then all of a sudden you'd have this surge of people coming at you. And... Um, you know, I don't mind running and and, uh, and and cycling and stuff, but the swim, you know, if somebody kicks your goggles off, I mean, or kicks you in the face, you're going to be swallowing water. And that was not one of these, that was one of those feelings that I, I, I don't like and I wasn't looking forward to. So I had to just do a lot of visualizing, visualization, it kind of helped. And that's what I always say to people too, is like, if there's things that are stressing you out, that are really, really, really working your gears, you gotta, you gotta sit, you gotta just identify every little thing about that one thing that's ticking you off and getting under your skin. And that's how you kind of manage the anxiety of, of it, because you have a goal, right? And the goal is to finish. So you have to identify every little problem in order to get through and and meet your target right mm -hmm. you know so yeah that's, that's one of those things camping outside i don't know that's out in the middle of nowhere right mm -hmm. you know that's a tough one to tough one to do i thought if i could get my tent up in daylight and then climb into it and then go to sleep as it got dark <laughs> i would be better off <laughs> <laughs> so a, a great coping strategy. I mean, this is all new territory for you. So rather than take a, a blind and perhaps risky plunge into this, you're, I think psychologists would call that successive approximation. So the next time you do it, if we're just going to leave the if out there for 2018, uh, if you were to do it again, take stock of what your experiences were. Uh, this year and then build on that or maybe just follow up and say hey I enjoyed the process and let's do that one more time. Jill, if you were to do this race, uh, and we shouldn't call it a race because I don't think what I did was a race and Kevin Watt would attest to when he saw me doing my thing, that ain't racing. But when you were swimming in the water on a 32 kilometer challenge, how would you do it differently if you were to jump in the water today? I learned a lot. Um... I would train my crew a little bit better. I'd actually learn how to read a tide chart. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah. Wow. And... Start earlier. Yeah, just, just a few logistical things Ooh. to, you know, a few little tune-ups. I think uh, it was a really successful event, even though I didn't land on the far shore. Um, and I, I would just count it a victory. 
Let's get back to a happy thought now. You've hit the finish line, and I know we have different experiences at the finish line. Diella and I have more of a feeling of elation, maybe, oh my goodness, we're so glad this is done, whereas Gio is going for, I wish it was another 32 kilometers in the water. <laughs> but let's just say at the, end, at the end of the event, and we're in our happy place, you hit that magical finish line, and it's time to chow down on some food. Diella, what's your food of choice? Or drink of choice? Yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think about food that way. I, I, at the end, I, I don't. I, I mean, my favorite thing is a chai tea latte at Starbucks. Okay. That's all I need to make mm. me happy. Yeah. Geo. Mm. <laughs> Geo's making over here. funny sounds, <laughs> funny faces. What's Geo's? Sorry, a real health food person. Mm. So there isn't. It's not a hamburger or anything like that. It's just my usual. Food. No guilty just pleasures. Like, no. Geo. Guilty pleasures, finish line, victory is Chocolate yours. Chocolate bar and a Coke. Chocolate bar and a Coke, more sugar and more caffeine. <laughs> that was your nutrition, though. <laughs> what kind of chocolate bar? Chocolate. Chocolate, as in Toblerone? Cap Cadbury. Cadbury. Milk. Milk. Yeah. Yes. And the Coke. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a staple. That's a staple that charges you back up, sets you right. Yep. Vegetables. Love them. We're, yeah. twi we're, 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 we're twisting vegetables. Oh. We're twisting vegetables. At the end of your ride or your, your long distance event and you're a mess and you're wiped out, if you could imagine yourself as, imagine yourself in a vegetative state, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> which vegetable would you be? Geo <laughs> <Gio> first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A cucumber, just lying there, boring, looks kind of uniform, yeah. thick skin. Thick skin, yeah. Lots of hydrational qualities. Yeah. yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, you wouldn't be a watermelon and, well, I don't know. That's a fruit, I think. A maybe, watermelon, maybe yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Overcooked yeah. broccoli. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or overcooked asparagus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think I'd have to be a squash. Limp and... <laughs> but a happy kind of limp, you know, if you're done. Well, thank you so much, Gio, Barbie, Diella. I've had fun getting to know you as athletes and people, and it's not for everybody to do the sorts of things that uh, you've done and pr probably continue to do. Um, what is in your future, Geo? There's a local lake that uh, nobody's um, swum. And so next summer I'm going to swim it. The name of the lake will be not disclosed? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, Diella, we mentioned a lot of ifs. Uh, tell us about something that would be closer to a for sure. So what are one of the things you will probably be looking at I next year? I have signed up for an ultra run. Ultra run. Um, Squamish 50K wow. in oh. August. Mm -hmm. um, that's a for sure. And uh, I, I think I'd like to do the cross Washington backcountry race. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it, but that's on my um, possible list. And I wish you uh, the best of health, best of luck in training and motivation. I know that's already in you. And thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.